When you're into perfection, keep on your toes. You have to be quick, cause here's how it goes. Push the plunger down, set the timer, fit the pieces in place. Don't be slow in perfection, you've gotta move on fast, move on fast. Or the pieces pop up before you put in the last, and that's perfection. Perfection, complete with playing box, mechanical timer, and 25 geometric shapes from Lakeside. Okay, so how many remember playing that game? Yeah, how many, just be honest, have never seen that game in your lifetime? This is like the first day. Yeah. Um, so our team was talking about this game over the past week, and we were talking about the pressure that one gets under to get all of those pieces in just the right place before that timer goes out. And, and you have to be perfect with every move when you play that game. And when that timer ends, you know, the unfortunate thing, whether you've, uh, you, you be, if you didn't beat it, the timer, when you end that, if it ends, that timer ends before you put that last piece in and hit that timer, all your hard work is ruined. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good you were doing. If you didn't beat the timer, it is Ruin. What a startling and stressful game that is. Now, um, different change of subject a little bit. Have you ever been embarrassed? And in that embarrassment, those in the room laughed and you laughed with them. Yeah. We've all been there. You know, it's a good thing when you can laugh at the moments when you're embarrassed. You know, when you never laugh, you never laugh during the moments of embarrassment when shame is present. We've all been there. Everybody else is laughing, or maybe wants to laugh, and you don't. Do you know why that is? No, really. Do you know why that is? I'd, I, I wish I knew. I mean, I'm asking you if you really knew. Um, I, I don't know why it is. But I know it happens. And there's something that I've learned in life in those moments, just as I've reflected on my own. You know, here's my thought. Joy and shame cannot coexist. In the same moment, think about it. The reason maybe that we can laugh when we're embarrassed is because in the moments that we laugh when we're embarrassed, it didn't take away our joy. But if we carry shame, you don't laugh because there's no joy. We, 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 don't, we don't have the joy. In fact, it's all we have is this deep pain from being embarrassed or the thing about which we are embarrassed. Shame is so toxic in our lives. It alters so much about it. It shapes and shifts so much about it. Shame alters the moments where, like those moments, you could have joy, but instead it robs you of that joy. See, shame shifts how we think. Shame shifts how we feel. It alters the things that we believe or imagine, the things that we sense, and even alters how we behave. Shame shifts all of those things. Like a chemical reaction to our soul, shame changes the makeup of our attitudes, and it changes our behaviors. Shame makes us feel things, deep things, 
not just emotionally, but shame. It is scientifically and medically proven that the stress that it causes on your body, your body bears the weight of it. Shame affects what we sense in a situation. It affects the narrative we tell ourselves about what's going on, which is not at all reality most of the time. Shame will cause us to believe a lie that we're living. Shame will influence our behaviors. And because shame influences our behaviors, those behaviors often end up becoming the regrets that often keep us shackled in our shame. And ultimately, shame shapes our identity. Shame shapes who we believe we are. Shame will make you believe that you are unworthy of love and and that you are unwanted by others because of something you've done or because of something you haven't done. Or maybe because of something like we talked about last week, something that was done to you or even associated with you. Our identity touches every part of who we are. Every, our identity impacts everything in us and everything about us. Shame is not what God created you and I to experience. We were created for so much more, and we're going to talk more about that here in a moment. Uh, my name is Casey, and for those of you who are new with us, I am so grateful to share this time together with you, whether you're new with us in the room or you're new with us online. I also want to let you know, if you're new with us, that we'd love to give you a gift after today's service. So after the service, in a moment, we're going to uh, have a time of communion, and we're going to sing together. And you may ask, man, that's a little weird that you sing at the end of the service. Well, we believe that worship is our response to who God is, and we're going to respond to that. And after our time of worship and we dismiss, we're, when we just do that, if you're new with us, will you make your way across our lobby into our welcome center, just as across the lobby there. A host will be in there. They'd love to give you that gift for being with us today. And if you would allow to give us less than four minutes of your time, that host would love to share with you four things about who we are as a church family that we believe will be encouraging for you to know. Also, for those of you that are new with us online, we'd love to send you a gift. If you will fill out the link that they're posting to the Connect card right now, click that link, fill that form out, click Submit, and we'd love to send you a gift for being with us. Now, Westside, would you help me letting everyone online know how grateful we are to share this time and those that are new with us in the room? Yeah. Yeah. So today we've finished this series talking about life's toxic game of fame and of shame. We're doing this series because we want to shut the trap. We don't want anyone to get trapped in playing this game. And we want you to realize this. We want you to realize that this is not what you were created for. You were created for so much more. In fact, this is the series, a big idea that we've been talking about, that you were not built for fame and you were not built for shame. You were built for so much more. You were built and created to glorify God and to be satisfied in Him forever. God wants you to find full satisfaction and have all of your needs and desires met and satisfied in Him, not in anything else. He wants you to be fully satisfied in Him. And this is when you and I will experience God's peace. This is when you and I will experience God's joy that God so much wants for you to have and you desperately and I desperately crave to have. Last week, we talked about the shame 
In our message, as we address shame, we address shame from a different aspect. The shame that comes into our life from what has happened to us or what has been done to us or what is associated to, with us. And this week, we're going to address the shame from the things that we've done in our past or the things that we didn't do in our past. The things, in other words, that we had control over. The things that were caused by us that created that regret or recreated, created that shame. Today, that's what we're going to talk about. And as we get into this, I want you to know something, that there is a stark difference between guilt and shame, and we need to recognize this. Guilt is associated with your behaviors. That's where guilt is. Guilt is associated with your behaviors, while shame is associated and it's tied to your identity. Guilt leads to the consequences that we suffer and in, in the correction that we have to come under because it's associated with our behaviors. However, our shame, what shame does is shame will cause you to believe you're an outcast because shame is tied to your identity. Guilt, that's a healthy thing. Guilt is actually healthy for us. It's how we are restored into relationship. Think about this for a moment. Guilt is how you are restored into a healthy relationship with God. This is because you feel guilty, you turn back to God, you turn back to Him, you repent of your sin, you stop doing what you did, and you receive your forgiveness in Him, and you begin to do what is right because of the guilt that we feel. In, in a relationship, guilt is restorative. It leads us to that restoration. Guilt leads us to restore the relationship that we had with others. We then, because we feel guilty, we do what we need to do to restore the relationship with the one we wronged. So guilt is a very healthy thing. Guilt is good. Shame is toxic. Toxic shame is unhealthy for us. Toxic shame is a self-inflicted judgment we place on ourselves we, this self-inflicted judgment that says, I am unloved and I am unwanted because of what I've done or what I didn't do or what's been done to me. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. And we can be guilty and not carry shame. You can be guilty and not carry that shame. The Holy Spirit works through our guilt. We need to understand this right here, that the Holy Spirit works through our guilt and convicts us of our wrong thinking and our wrongdoing. But shame is where Satan works. The enemy of our souls, the accuser of us, works in our shame. Satan works through our shame. And God wants to set you free from that toxic shame. That's why Jesus came into this world. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4 or uh, open your Bibles on your device and, uh, and, and make your way to John chapter 4. Um, while you get there, I want, to, uh, I want to read something to you. And before we read this passage in John 4, I want to share a message that someone sent me last Sunday after last week's message and after last week's teaching. And I've changed a few details in this to keep this couple anonymous They've given me permission to share this story. And I want you to know, and this is a powerful story. And I believe this can be your story today. Listen to this. Hi, Casey. Every Sunday at Westside is a blessing. However, this Sunday, a stronghold of shame in my life has been broken. 
Well over 40 years ago, my husband and I had a son born out of wedlock. My husband was a senior in the military, and we knew having sexual relations outside of marriage was wrong. But we did it anyway. We had our precious son six weeks before my husband graduated, and we married. We asked God for forgiveness. He did and has blessed our marriage. However, I have carried shame for all those years. I allowed Satan to have a stronghold of shame even though I was forgiven. As of today, I no longer have that stronghold. And if I could show you this, she has three exclamation marks next to it. And then she finishes it with hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Can you picture the freedom they felt having that stronghold broken? Over 40 years, carrying, knowing they are forgiven, but carrying the burden, a heavy burden of shame that alters so much of what we think and do and feel. And some of us today, I want you to know something. This story that I just read can become your story with whatever you have been carrying, your shame. And today, I believe that the stronghold of shame, if you bring it to Jesus and lay it at His feet and fix your eyes on Him, He can do for you what He did for this couple. And this story can be your story. And, and today, we're going to walk. You, you, it could be a day that you walk away and you walk in your freedom from shame. Now, in John 4, I want you to see not just what Jesus came to do for this, this woman that we're going to talk about in this passage of Scripture, but I believe what Jesus came to do for a humanity suffering shame. So begin with me in verse chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 of John chapter 4 here. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John just lets all of us that didn't know what's going on here, what's going on. He says, For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. <laughs> and Jesus answered her, If you knew. I just want to stop right there. If you knew. And what Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God. Sometimes I don't think we truly know the gift of God. I think we have an idea of it, but we don't truly know the gift. And Jesus says to her, if you only knew, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water, maybe pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus here makes a remarkable promise to this woman. Jacob's well had been providing water for thousands of years. Thousands of years that they, people would come to this well that Jacob, their ancestors, the Jews and the Samaritans were both of the lineage here and would, would draw from this well. Jesus offers her something better than the water of this very deep spring. Jesus offers her a gift of God. Jesus offers her living water. She thinks living water, she, in, 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 in this moment, she thinks this is something physical. She's looking for something physical in this moment. And Jesus tells her that the answer to all her needs, all her unmet expectations, all her unfulfilled desires and unfulfilled um, cravings is not something physical, it's something spiritual. Only Jesus, the living water, can meet all our needs and fill all our desires. What Jesus offered her and what Jesus, I believe, offers all of us is so much better than anything else or anyone else you think and I think can satisfy the needs and the cravings and the longings and the desires of our soul. Only Jesus can quench the thirst of our souls. You know, it's been said that only need, our need, our need for love and our need for connection is un, unquenchable. Our need for love and need and connection is unquenchable. Your desires for love and your desires for connect, connection are bottomless Desires, meaning it, 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 it's, it, you'll fill it for one day and you'll need it the next day. It's not always fully satisfied. Only something infinite can quench something that's endless. Only something infinite can fill something that's bottomless. And your need for love cannot be satisfied by any one thing. And your, it, it can't be fulfilled by anything or anyone in this physical world. And your need for connection, we need to realize this, that our need for connection and our need for love and our need for belonging cannot be satisfied by anything or anyone in the physical. It cannot be. We need something spiritual and we need something infinite to satisfy these unquenchable desires. And Jesus says He is the one who will do this. Jesus satisfies in you what nothing else can. Jesus satisfies in you what no one else 
can satisfy. Only Jesus can fill the unquenchable need that you have for love, the unquenchable need for acceptance, the bottomless pit of approval and belonging. Only Jesus can fill that void in our life. This is Jesus' promise to a woman. And I believe it's Jesus' promise to you and to me. No relationship, no achievement, no possession can give you the satisfaction or the fulfillment that Jesus offers to you. We continue to read about his conversation with this woman who needs a spiritual answer to what she thinks is a physical need. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Here she thinks this is still a physical solution. And Jesus doesn't have the time to really, you know, beat around the bush. He cuts straight to the chase. Says, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you are now, that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. To which this woman probably just looked up and said, okay, this just got real. (laughs) Jesus speaks directly to her. And in our culture, especially our Midwest culture, our polite culture, we have this tendency to not directly address the need before us. Jesus addresses her sin directly. And in our culture, we don't think Jesus addresses sin directly. In fact, we don't want that kind of Jesus in our life. That's the American version of Jesus. The one that doesn't touch those areas that we're ashamed of. The one that doesn't talk about that. And we don't want others to talk about it either. We get uncomfortable, don't we? We get uncomfortable when somebody talks about it in somebody else's life. And, And if we were at the well... Maybe we would be uncomfortable when Jesus addressed this with her. And if it were us, we'd definitely be uncomfortable. See, we think that Jesus, and our version of Jesus, doesn't want to address these things in our lives, but He does. Because Jesus knew that her shame was tied to her sin. Did you hear me? Her shame was tied to her sin. It was the direct result of her sin. She had gone to the well that day in the heat of the day when nobody else goes to draw water because nobody's there in the hot, hot part of the day. They all go in the cool of the day. People don't go to Jacob's well when it's hot unless they're avoiding someone or hiding something. The only reasons to go to a time, go to the well at that time of day is because you feel unwelcomed or you don't see that you fit in with the people that go in the morning or you're too ashamed to go with those that are going in the morning. And Jesus confronts the source of her shame by confronting her sin. And that's what Jesus does with all of us. Jesus confronts my sin. Jesus confronts your sin so you can confess your sin to receive his life. This is so important to understand because there are so many people out there saying that there are ways that you can receive God's life and Jesus, is, he, he gives us directly, and we see it here, that, that we need to understand that receiving the living water 
that will quench and satisfy you and I forever. We have to be able to confess our sin. We have to be able to confess our sin. We must confront our sin and confess it because that is the only way that we can receive the thing that will satisfy us forever, the living water of God. But we don't like to confront the source of our shame. We don't like to confront our sin. You know what we like to do? We like to hide it. We want to divert from it. We want to get the conversation directed anything but that, right? Well, that's exactly what she does. Let's read on. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And which, like, no duh, okay. Um, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And I could just see maybe Jesus like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not what I'm talking about. Now, he addresses, he, he corrects her, but he brings her back to what she truly needs to hear. And this is how he does it. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, Jews, uh, worship what we do know because we, we know salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers, this is important, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So there is a true worshiper, and there's not a true worshiper. The true worshiper is the one that worships in spirit and the truth. And he goes on to say, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman says, yeah, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And whenever he gets here, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. I love Jesus. He doesn't just say something. Jesus declares something. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus ignores her question in some way and redirects that question because she wanted to sidetrack the conversation. Because he has one purpose. He has one purpose to bring her life to offer her living water. She came to this well to get something physical. Jesus came to that well, that same well, to give her something spiritual that is unquenchable. A life that only can come through the Spirit of God, not from anything physical that she could find, not from anything physical that she could do. Because that's not where you access the spring of living water and the life Jesus gives. In John 3, Jesus, just a chapter earlier, John would tell the story of Jesus going and speaking in, the, in, 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 a, in, a, in a an unknown place uh, with Nicodemus. And he would tell this religious elite leader, Nicodemus, that the only way to be a part of the kingdom of God, the only way to be in the kingdom of heaven, There's only one way to do this, and it's not through anything you can do. It's by becoming born again. And he would say, what do you mean? 
And he would think something physical. And Jesus was like, no, this is not physically going back and being like physically born again. This is something that is only through the Spirit of God. It's not just being born by water. You got that already taken care of, you, you know, but now being born of the Spirit. And this is why we use that term as salvation, tying it to being born again. See, born, this is what the Holy Spirit of God does. This is salvation. Not in anything you can do in your physical world. And when Jesus says this to Nicodemus, he is declaring something so powerful. God is not accessed at a location anymore. God is not accessed and salvation is not attained by anything you can do or not do. Salvation is not based on any human physical effort or any physical location. Even worship's not that. It's not based on any sacrifice that you can offer. See, it wasn't about the temple in Samaria. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus came to give access to God in the only way that you and I can have access to God. And it's not something physical. It is something spiritual. It is through the Holy Spirit of God bringing new life. And the only way that we can receive that new life is to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as Lord, and we are saved. It's in that moment with confession that we receive Jesus as Savior and we declare him as Lord, and the Holy Spirit does a regenerative work in you and I. And at that moment, not because of your works, not because of the things that you did in your past, not because of anything else other than the Spirit of God comes into you, and makes you a new creation, makes you into the new humanity, the family of God. This is why only those who are born again, born of the Spirit of God, those are the only ones who can truly worship God. All things will praise God, but only true worship is from those who worship in the Spirit and with truth. See, confessing the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ is the foundation of true worship. Salvation would not come any other way. It's not going to come through sacrifices or any physical thing that you can offer God. Salvation comes only through Jesus' work on the cross and receiving Him as Savior, confessing Him as Lord, and following Him. This is the only way that the Holy Spirit can, can come into your life as you just open your life to Him. And that's true worship. Confessing the truth of who Jesus is and confessing the truth of who we are. Who we are without Him and who we are because of Him. Confessing who Jesus is and who we are in Him is beautiful worship. And then go on. Just then His disciples returned and were surprised to find Him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And I just want you to see this as we read this. Look at the change. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come. Did you see this? She left her jar, the thing that she came to get, but she had so much more. And she went back to the people she was trying to avoid and said to the people she was hiding from, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
Do you recognize the change in her life? This woman came to the well in the middle of the day because of her shame. She didn't want anybody to see her. She felt unloved, unwanted, and disconnected, didn't have a place to belong. After meeting Jesus, she left that well to tell everyone to come and see Jesus. This woman came to the well in shame, hiding from others, hiding even her sin from God. This woman came to the well with her identity and what she had done. But after encountering Jesus and receiving the truth of what he gives her, and receiving his life that satisfies the deepest longings and the cravings and the desires of all our hearts. She then left, not with her identity in what she had done and in her identity in her past. She left with her identity as being a true worshiper, which is a child of God because of Christ's work and what God says of her. She's a child of God who's a true worshiper of God. The Samaritan woman leaves her jar behind. And I love that, what John says there. Because I think she left more than her jar. You know what I believe she also left? She left her shame at that well. And some of you today, you need to come and you need to lay your shame at Jesus' feet because you've been carrying it for too long and it's not what you're meant to carry. You know you're forgiven. You know what Jesus has done for you. But you've been carrying this so long. And maybe, that's the, maybe the reason you came today is not the reason you're going to leave today. Maybe you came, like this woman came, looking for something physical, looking for something need, like God, just meet one of my physical needs. And today he's going to meet something spiritual. And you're going to leave that jar of shame at the well. The reason she came to that well is not the reason she returned to the city. The reason she returned to the city was to tell Jesus everything that he already knew about her. You know who else knew all that about her? The city did. That's why she hid in shame. And now she had no shame. She didn't care what they thought about her anymore because she knew what Jesus said about her. And when you know who you are in Christ... When you know who you are, not because of your work, but because of Christ's work. When you know who you are in Jesus, it does not matter what others know or think about you. When you know who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what others think or what others know about you. When you know who you are because of what Christ's work is for you, you don't care what people think about you anymore. You don't care about what they think about what you've done in your past. You don't care because what you see is something greater. You see the work that Jesus did for you more and it's greater to you and it's more precious to you than who you were in your sin. Yes, we are guilty. Yes, I'm guilty of my sin. But I don't have to carry the shame from my sin. And you know what carrying shame is going to keep me from doing? Shame is going to keep me from testifying of the goodness of God. Shame is going to keep me from telling others that, yeah, this was a part of my story. I've been ashamed of this for so many years. But can I tell you something? He set me free. And the enemy wants you to, to silence your voice. And that's what shame does, is it silences our voice. We don't, but when we know who we are in Christ, we don't care what people know or think about us anymore because we know how deeply Jesus loves us. 
so that much that he came to die for us and make us a child of God. She came to the well in shame, but she left free from that shame. That's what an encounter with Jesus will do for you. Jesus wants to break that stronghold off of you. He wants to speak to you and say, shame off you. So where's your identity today? Is it in your past? Because when your eyes are on your things that you've done and your eyes are fixed on those things, yeah, you're going to carry shame. You're going to worry about what people think and say about you. But when your identity is in Christ Jesus and what He's done and your eyes are fixed on Him and what He's done, you don't care what other people think or what other people say about you. See, when your identity is in anything or anyone but Jesus, you will suffer shame. So see who you are, not because of your work, but because of His work. Receive that and let shame break off you. Have the courage to confess your sin to God. Have the courage to confess Him as Lord. Receive His forgiveness. And walk away from the well that you met him with and say, God, my identity is no longer in what I've done. My identity is in Christ's work for me. And that's a serious big idea I want to leave you with. See, when your identity is in what Jesus Christ has done, you will have no shame in what you've done or haven't done. When your identity is in what Christ has done for you, when your identity is rooted in who you are in Jesus and what his work is for you, his living water is going to wash away all your sin and it's going to break down all of that shame. Jesus came to destroy sin's power over you. By destroying sin's power, Jesus overcomes death and he overcomes and breaks the strongholds that shame has on us. The Hebrew writer tells us what Jesus did for us and what Jesus did for shame. In Hebrews 12, 1, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. Can you come to the well today and can you leave your jar and leave all the shame? Can you just throw off everything? And can you leave that sin that has bound you, that has held you hostage? Can you leave that behind? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy, for the joy, for the joy, for the joy, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the most humiliating death anybody could ever endure naked on a cross exposed nothing to hide so you can know you don't have to hide your sin you don't have to hide your shame he came and so you can receive life jesus endured the most humiliating death so you can receive his living water the gift of god the gift of life and be set free from the sins that shackled you in shame. See, Jesus was humiliated so you don't have to carry shame. Jesus carried the cross so you don't have to carry shame.
Jesus despised shame. He looked down on it, scorning its shame is what Hebrews said. Jesus shamed shame, if you will. He put shame in its place, and it has no place in you. Jesus scorned it, and then he took his place of authority, and he took his place of power over sin and shame, and the shame that binds us. Don't let shame have authority in your life where Jesus has already established his authority through his work on the cross and the resurrection. See, Jesus did this for one reason, so you can receive the most incredible gift and experiencing experience the life that flows up and wells up within you like living water. It's nothing you've ever experienced before. It's not something physical. It's something that's spiritual and it affects everything in your life. It's in the physical. And it's through his gift that you become a child of God set free from sin, not a child identified by the things you've done, but now you're identified by what Christ has done for you. See, Jesus carried a cross of shame so you can become a child of God. That's why we must fix our eyes on him. Not fix our eyes on the things that we've done or the things in our past, but we must fix our eyes on Jesus, not what brings us shame. Because when our eyes are not on Jesus, that's when we experience shame. But when you fix your eyes on Jesus, knowing who you are in him and what he has done for you, shame has no power over the Hebrew writer would say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had joy. And he, you know what that joy was, I believe? He knew his identity was in his father. And also, I believe, he saw you. He saw each and every one of us. That was his joy. I believe you are part of that joy. I believe that he saw the family of God. See, it is a joy to be a child of God, and that means shame has no power over you. And some of you need to have that stronghold broken today, and I believe it's going to happen. And we're going to do something together. We're going to take communion together, and I'm going to ask our host to come and prepare for this and I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand, you're going to exit out your left, come and grab the elements, I want you to return on the right side of your aisle, back to your seat and as you come today, this is what I pray if you need to confess something confess it as you come God hears it, but you need to confess it, if there's been something that you need to let go of, if shame has been binding you, I want you to say, God, thank you, I give my shame to you, and this is what I want you to pray, Father, I confess that because of Christ's work, I am a child of God. Shame has no power over you.